I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, hello, good people. Love that you're here yet again in the First Gen Lounge. I'm so excited to have a really good friend of mine with us on today. His name is Don Holmes, and I have had the pleasure of knowing Don for, it's been a while. It's been over like eight years, maybe, mm-hmm. I met you as a, yeah. God, it's been a long time. That flew by. I met you at Southern Miss like a long time ago. Yeah, long I think 11, 2011. Wow. I'm really just realizing that. Well, yeah, thank you for joining us on today, Don. How are you, Mr. PhD I'm, student? <laughs> I'm doing good, and I'm so glad to, to have the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's, it's definitely a, a, a pleasure and an honor to have you here, just having seen you maneuver through life over the years and even learning that you were first gen and, you know, you've been somebody who's been so supportive. And I just really appreciate everything that you've done for me. And I'm loving watching you flourish and get fit and everything. Like, I'm like, you're doing it. So do your thing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You are so welcome. So look, I don't want I don't like to hold up the conversation. I'm just going to jump right into it. If you will, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what is your story? Yeah. So as you already said, my name, Don Holmes, I'm originally from the great state of Mississippi, where I met you so many years ago. And I think like many people who come from Mississippi, there's always a unique story to kind of tag on to who they are and what makes them, you know, who they are. Uh, but mm-hmm. my roots starts in Mississippi, a place called Progress, Mississippi, which is not a contradiction. It was a very welcoming and warm place uh, where I grew up. It's a rural place. Uh, so it was a different kind of lifestyle than what I'm living in now in a very kind of urban type space. But from Mississippi, I joined the uh, Army right out of high school. And I did six years in the United States Army as a military police officer. I deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, which was a very eye-opening experience for me because I think I went to Iraq when I was 19 years old. Uh, so I grew up, wow. you know, at such an alarming rate compared to my peers that when I came back from Iraq and I went into college, I was running, you know, headlong trying to get things done. And I was very focused and a lot of my peers wasn't. And I matriculated from the University of Southern Mississippi, where I am today at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where I'm currently working on my PhD in English. That is really excellent. You know, which is interesting to me, the part about you being a vet, because when I met you and you told me that, I was like, what? (laughs) Because you are more mature than a lot of your peers. So what I'm curious to know is, if it's okay for me to just ask, you know, uh, of course, how was that transition overall, having been in the military and then going to school versus doing them together? Because it wasn't a traditional path for you where some people are like, yeah, you're first gen. If you don't go right away, you're not going to go to school ever. You're like, nah, I got this. Yeah, well, so I think I was always determined to go to college because I seen so many nice. people who had went to college. And I was like, well, if that person can go to college and be successful, 
I know that I could. And so when I went to the army and I did my training, I went to Iraq, the first thing I did when I came back home was enrolled at the University of Southern Mississippi. But I will tell you, Eve, it was difficult at first. It was, it was, I, I saw so many people in college that I believe wasn't as focused as they should be. I was a little bit older than the first year students, so I was having to work with, with mm-hmm. a lot of kids who were transitioning right out of high school into college. And they didn't have the same drive that I did. So I felt out of place mm-hmm. for my, maybe my first semester of undergrad. And I wanted to quit. I honestly did and thought that wow. maybe I could just do the Army full time. Uh, but I had a friend that told me, she said to me that you're right where you're supposed to be. And so I yes. settled in. I found I found a comfort zone and I just started, you know, working towards that. But it was very difficult at first when I when I came back from Iraq and went straight into undergrad. It was a different pace, you know, it was a different kind mm-hmm. of atmosphere that I had to relearn. Well, not relearn, but had to learn because no one in my family had been to college. So I had to kind of learn mm-hmm. how to navigate and maneuver the space of college, even though I had been quite successful in maneuvering the spaces within the Army. Wow, that's really interesting. I was thinking about some research that I'd actually done at Southern Miss, and I want to say it was maybe mm-hmm. 11 or 12, uh, where I looked at veterans assimilation to higher education. The first time I'd ever looked at veteran life, but of course, being in that part of Mississippi, Hattiesburg, you know, with the military base not being too far, I didn't mm-hmm. realize how much of a population we had and so what you're echoing is some of the things that my research discovered, just again, the, the level of maturity of peers and people being inconsiderate of the fact that you are a little bit more mature and they're expecting you to, mm-hmm. you know, be, let's be playful. And you're like, no, I'm also a little bit more disciplined. And then I know that what came up as well is people asking about how it was when you were overseas and what those experiences were just out of not knowing better. But of course, you've been through all of that and you've come back a different person and you know, I never ask those questions out of respect for mental mental health because you just don't know where people are. And so it's just thinking about what you shared. You saw a lot of the world that mm-hmm. somebody who's 18, 19 is just, like you said, kids. And so not that they need yeah. to be, but it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just what it is. So, so thank you for, for sharing that because it's really a, a big part of who you are. And thank you for your service to our country because... I mean, you know, we need you and everybody's not brave enough to go fight. So thank you for that, sir. Um, Thank you. Oh, gosh, you're so very welcome. So you mentioned that you are a Ph.D. student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Okay, go Tar Heels. I'm a a fan. (laughs) I'm a fan. Um, So a little known fact, UNC is definitely was definitely my dream school. I would say my big dream school. When I realized how big it was and all the other stuff, I was like, I'm good. Because I don't really like big schools. And so it's I a massive school, one. yeah. It is massive, but it's beautiful. Oh my gosh, it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And I love it. So it's always going to be in the back of my head that, you know, Chapel Hill all day. I ride for Chapel Hill. So, um, but, you know, being a PhD student, you're studying English. What got you to this? Because again, you went from military to Southern Miss to North Carolina, you've moved a lot as well. So yeah, what was the evolution of saying, I'm going to study English because you are an amazing scholar. Like I have oh, to say, I'm impressed. So I'm always impressed. You're welcome, Mike. I'm like, go Don, go. <laughs> well, I've always loved literature. And I, I know that sounds cliche and perhaps kind of corny, but when I was a younger person, especially in my middle school years, I picked up reading from my sixth grade teacher. She had given to us a book titled My Side of the Mountain by Jean Craighead George. If you 
never read this book, you should. It's a wonderful tale of a young man who leaves his family and goes to live in the Catskill Mountains of New York by himself. And ever since I read that book, I found a new world to escape, if you will, inside of the world of literature. And as I continue to kind of grow and mature, I discovered Black literature. And, and through Black literature, I found not only these interesting narratives about people, about people who look like me, but I also found my history, right, of people who had experiences in this country, be it good, bad, in the middle, that I believe reveals certain things about who I am as a person today and why I do what I do. So I think that's why I chose to study, you know, English and literature. It's just so it's a wonderful discipline, I think, if you want to latch on to something that not only you can find old texts from a hundred years ago or new texts, but they still have an impact on society today. Mm. One thing I find interesting about that is how you mentioned the old texts, because I think it was like several months ago when you sent me uh-huh. the, the archive you found of Shaw. And that stuff yeah. excites me because yeah. you can live so vicariously through old writings and old texts and old, just yeah. old documents. And, and I get it. I, I love history. And I love seeing how they lived, how they talked, just yeah. what things that they wrote and how we preserve history. And I, and I think when you talk about literature, the other exciting thing is how literature, it, it stands the test of time. That's the best yeah. way I can think to put it. Like we're still reading stuff that was written a hundred years ago. We're yeah. still reading stuff that was written, you know, back in the 1920s. That's how we learn and, and we grow and we are able to engage our imagination. So very, very interesting. And then for you to take on black literature at that, because I didn't, I mean, I've heard of African-American studies and and things of the sort, but you were the first person I know to take a stab at the African-American literature and to be a scholar in it. And I was like, oh, that's very fascinating because I think about it, but I don't really think about it. Like I know black authors, but then you take it on a whole different world. So kudos to you for that. What do you hope to do with it long-term, be a professor? Yeah, so I think that's one of my goals is to hopefully become a professor on a tenure track, but also to work within academia. So whether it's a faculty member or a person working with programs like the McNair Scholars or TRIO programs. Um, but one thing I would also add to that, Eve, is what I study is a very unique uh, generation of African-American writers. So I, I look at people like Phyllis Wheatley and Venture Smith and uh, Absalom Jones and Maria Stewart and Lunsford Lane, so probably naming people that you, you probably haven't heard of, perhaps only in passing, but these are people who wrote in the late 18th century and the early 19th century. So these are people wow. from 200 years ago, you know, 250 wow. years ago. And I do that because so many people don't believe that Black people were actually writing at the dawn of the United States. So when the United States was becoming a nation, there were Black people who were actively writing and actively participating in the politics of the day. And so I want to unearth those conversations and, and give these conversations new life to a 21st century world who I think often more than not believe that writers from so many years ago, especially Black writers, especially Black women writers, don't have a voice in some of our contemporary issues. But they do because some of the things that they talk about when it comes to race, sexuality, gender issues, these things you can find very present in literature from 250 years ago by Black authors. So I think that's why I do it. And that's why I've chosen to study early African-American literature. That is really cool to me. And I'm very fascinated. And I 
definitely gonna like continue to ask you questions eventually. Like, you know, outside of this, I'm not gonna take up all the time talking about, you know, just your, your, your research, but that is like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. I have heard of Phyllis Wheatley, surprisingly, oh, good. Surprisingly, but I have, but others I'm like, yeah, you're right, I haven't heard of those. And I'm okay admitting that, because I know I don't know it all, but that's why we have people who have their, their unique gifts like you to educate the others who don't know. Like you said, it's only one side of the story being told sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to have people like you to tell the other side of the story. So, yeah, so what I'm thinking about telling, you know, still on the storytelling part, is you've mentioned, you know, you are an amazing, like I said, ama- well, I've said you're an amazing scholar, and I'm, you know, hoping to just receive it, just receive it. Thank and you, you, like I said, the military, you're so very welcome. So you're done military, and you've mentioned the McNair program, because if I recall correctly, you were McNair scholar as well, right? I was, definitely. Yeah, okay. How did that help shape your experiences, not just during college, but after college? Yeah, so I was uh, a McNair Scholar at Southern Miss, and my advisor, my academic advisor, was Dr. Sherita Johnson. I'm pretty sure you know her. Yeah, well, she's remember awesome. her. Yeah, and she was she was very tough, and she really wanted me to because I did a my undergraduate thesis on Phyllis Wheatley and Venture Smith, two 18th century Black writers, and she really wanted me to both understand the history around the literature and the history that I can pull from the literature itself, right? Not to kind of put my ideas inside of the text. And so working with Dr. Johnson uh, through the McNair Scholars Program gave me a view into what I should expect when I came to graduate school. That is, I must create a scholarly paper that makes a kind of big picture argument about these writers that someone else hasn't necessarily made before. So basically my intervention into the, the the scholarship, if you will. So it was a very useful program for me, and it was something that I count as one of the major blessings of my time as a, as a college student, and so glad that so many other students get to be a part of this program as well, because it really exposed you to how to come up with an idea, brainstorm that idea, go through all of the drafting of that idea, and have a finished product. It's, it's just a really unique and useful program. Very, very good to hear that about that program. And it's making me think, so you're out of that program now and you're working on a PhD in a different state, different environment, community. What is it that's keeping you grounded now? Yeah, so I work now with the, well, I guess I should say volunteer with the Big Brothers Big Sisters program here in North Carolina. And my little, a young man named Jet, he just keeps me grounded. So when I go and hang out with him, it's not about scholarship. It's not about ideas. It's not about a paper that I have to do. It's not about deadlines. It's just about hanging out with a young kid and giving him a big brother type experience, a male figure in his life. So it's one of those things that help me stay grounded, stay humble, and keep me focused on my goals as well in the long run. I like that you say that because when you're in grad school it can be very taxing emotionally taxing physically taxing and isolating spiritual yeah all of that so the fact that you found something is is a big deal especially as a first gen because we tend to sometimes get lost in the sauce that's the best way i can think to say it and we don't find the balance so we end up quitting or giving up and i like that you found an initiative to be a part of that also takes you away from the stresses of school and like you say just gives mm-hmm. you something else to focus on are there any other things that you're doing to you know take care of your physical and mental and spiritual well-being you know things that just keep you balanced because balance is key to mastering graduate school 
Yeah, I, I go to the gym. I burn it out in the gym at least three times a week. I have a set schedule. I have to go to the gym in the morning from Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I have friends in the gym, so I see them, you know, each time I go and we just talk about different things from politics to a movie. So it's just another kind of space that is not connected to the university for me uh, that I feel that it's a, also a space where I can go and be comfortable uh, as well. And I'm also, too, a big writer, so I really enjoy writing fiction. So I'm in the process of starting the, the kind of framework of a new novel project that I want to kind of work on, especially for the spring. Uh, but I've written a novel in the past. It's unpublished. And, as in, you know, as a writer, sometimes you don't know when to push something out. So I have a novel completed, but I'm still in the process of rereading it and trying to kind of tweak it and work with it. It's a science fiction novel, which is odd, seeing that I write about and study early black literature. <laughs> So I write sometimes too, and it, it helps me go into a space where I can create a world in which I can, as Edward P. Jones, who was a writer said, you can play God. So when you write fiction, you're able to mm. play God in such a way, you're able to manipulate these characters and you have them to do what you want them to do. And you make them say things that you want them to say. And sometimes you can create these characters, but they can also tell your story. So the new novel that I'm trying to work on now is a novel that it's fiction, but it's quite autobiographical. So it hopefully it's going to chronicle some of my experiences from undergrad to graduate school and my veteran status. So it's just another space for me where I can, I don't have to have a textbook open. I don't have to have an article in front of me in which I'm taking notes from. It's just me, the paper and the pen, you know. Mm, and your creativity. That's, you creativity, just gave whole new yeah. meaning. Oh yeah, you gave whole new meaning to writing. Like I appreciate it. I've always enjoyed writing as well. Love journaling, doing poetry. I'm, you know, spoken word artist on the low. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it just, it just allows you that freedom, like you said, to just, you know, like I said, play God. Like I've never heard it put that way. And not that you're trying to say be God, but I, I get the idea of it's, it's solely yeah. yours. You're and creating the every, world, you know. Yes. And then for people to engage in that world and to get exactly. lost in it. You know, because I mean, mm -hmm. it's something like getting a really good book and being like, gosh, that was good. And you think about it and it becomes a part of who you are so much that you want to tell other people the story. So that's very, very powerful way of looking at it. That's actually inspired me to write another book. <laughs> like good, I've been dragging good. my feet, but I'm like, do it again, do it again. Well, very cool. So I'm really curious at this point, considering all that you even shared and you've shared some great stuff. Is there anything to this point that you wish somebody would have told you before this moment in your life? Be patient. You know, as um, when I first came to graduate school, I wanted to be in and out. And I was trying to, I, I think I put on myself undue pressure, pressure that I didn't need to have on my back. And the pressure of finishing the doctoral program at such a pace that I would be, let's say I would be 30 when I graduate. And I realized that in order to complete the race, you don't have to get to the finish line in such a quick time. You can pace yourself out, you can learn, you can enjoy the, the moment where you are, live where you're at, and you can continue to grow from that. So I think now I understand it better that I can take my time, I can be patient about this, and I can breathe while I'm going through it as well. So I don't have to rush, you know, everything so much. So, so many times, I think we get caught up in just rushing through something. And because my, my doctoral program, thankfully, I'm blessed to say this, is fully funded. And so mm -hmm. I have time to do this. I can take my time and still come out on the end, you know, ready to go out to the world of academia, be a great professor one day. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side, tell us some of the best advice you've actually received. 
Some of the best advice I've actually received from people. I think I'll, I'll go to Winston Churchill. I've never met Winston, although. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's okay. But, you made a spirit. But Winston, right. But Winston Churchill said something to the effect that failure is not fatal. Right. And I think mm-hmm. for people in our generation, in our generation, when we fail at something, we feel that that's the end, that this failure says to me and it says to everyone else that I'm incompetent, that I'm, I'm able to do something that I was, you know, that I told the world that I was going to do. But we have to realize and learn that when we fail at something, it can be perhaps one of the greatest teaching moments of our lives. Though it puts us in a dark place, we have to realize that through this darkness, the light will shine again. So when you fail at something or when something is very difficult for you, you just have to continue to press forward. And I think that's one of the Winston Churchill's narrative there is one of those quotes that kind of sticks with me that that said failure is not fatal. So failure is not the end of me. And then I would also add to that my grandmother who passed away last year, she was a lovely woman who lived in Mississippi and Louisiana her whole life. She has this wonderful story about her that was a story of perseverance. I once asked her, you know, why didn't she leave Mississippi during the, the migrations of the 1950s and 1960s when a lot of black folk went up to places like Chicago and New York and Detroit. And she told me that she owned some land and no one was going to run her off of her land. So I'm reminded of my grandmother's spirit to just be strong and, and be affirmed in my ability to succeed and to do well where I'm at and kind of work within that. And then the next steps will, you know, eventually materialize as I'm ready to take the next step up. I like that you touch on, you know, your grandmother really giving you the the oomph to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I imagine just what I know from what I know, of course, that she was very instrumental in your life. I don't doubt that. I remember you talking about her in undergrad. So outside of writing a grandma's prayers, what do you believe has helped you to be successful thus far because you just again you are an african-american male you are a veteran you are first generation and you were at the university of north carolina chapel hill now mm-hmm. that's i believe <laughs> and you're that's on a big school, school. So it's quite a big school and you are there and your your education is fully funded not every black man from mississippi who's a veteran can say that will ever actually so i think that's the pretty big deal and it's one of the reasons I look at you and I'm just like wow I wonder if you know how amazing you are because of what you've accomplished and may not even realize that you've accomplished it always I appreciate that um, I think well all those things that you, you've said like that uh, being from Mississippi you know and you've been there you you got your doctor in Mississippi you worked in Mississippi you met your husband in Mississippi you've met all kinds of people in Mississippi there's there's something about Mississippi folk that, you know, I can't put into words, especially about Mississippi black people. And I don't mean to be mm-hmm. funny when I say that, but there is this sense that you get from Mississippi black people that we are still in this place that we have to keep surviving. We have to keep living. We have mm-hmm. to keep moving. So I take that that kind of, you know, that Richard Wright mentality, if you want to say that Richard Wright, famous writer from Mississippi, that, you know, because I come from Mississippi, um, because I come from a rural background, because I come from a family in which I'm the first person in my family to go to college, and because I come from a, a family background that, you know, is stricken with poverty and things of this nature, it, that doesn't necessarily define who I am. And it doesn't kind of chart my map towards success. I believe, if anything, it gives me a really good foundation in which to build from. And also, like you said, I'm a veteran. I've worked, you know, with so many people from all across the world. 
and dealing with all these different people, it has not only diversified my thoughts, but it, it makes me see a world in such a diverse way, a world that I want to live in. So I'm not afraid to kind of step mm. out on faith, you know, and go somewhere and learn from people who I've never met, meet all kinds of people and want to kind of ingratiate myself in different kinds of circles. And also I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, so I've met at Southern Miss a brotherhood of, of gentlemen who were not only crutches and people I can lean on, but people who were, you know, great uh, guys who gave me good constructive feedback and criticism when necessary. So it was just surrounding myself around these types of people and in these different types of spaces, I believe, has gotten me to where I am today. Uh, I heard that, brother. I'm like, it just excites me because I lived in Mississippi. I know firsthand mm -hmm. the hardship of Mississippi. And, you mm -hmm. know, they talk about Mississippi being at the bottom of everything. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's the highest in some pregnancies and, and rates of suicide. And, well, I don't know if it's a suicide. Maybe I just made that up. But STD is what I was trying to get to. But then to right. see that there are people, the people I know who are doing amazing things, and you are absolutely in that group of people who did not let circumstance keep you bound that right. you know yeah. there are many good things that come out of mississippi and i even tell people all the time my husband is real brilliant he is a brilliant man he is a scholar he is he teaches me all the time and i'm like oh i'm just so impressed and people are oh you made it out of mississippi but my thing is you only see the picture that america paints of mississippi exactly. and while yeah. i had you know you know because like i've made some of my deepest relationships with people are from mississippi my closest friends in my adulthood mississippi is where i met them and contrary to popular belief some people who are not my same skin tone that I am still in touch with and we laugh and we talk and we share things about family, they are from Mississippi. Yeah, and so my thing is you have the Southern, yes, Southern Mississippi. And that's not to take away from the fact that there are some political discomforts and there are some, right. some, some ways right. that it can grow. But one thing you said that I absolutely agree with, I have not found any other people in the world like people from Mississippi who have this yeah. genuine love and affection and and care that when you family, you family, and they and they mean it. And so that's, that's something it. I actually really miss about it. So yes, yeah, so I'm glad you said that. But again, you are the example of what more people need to see, especially as a first generation. I said again, you know, black male. I highlight those things because it's what we think when we think about black men, and then we think about black men from Mississippi. What association yeah. do they have? And, I, and I, they need to see more you, you know, more James, more Taylor Boots, more. Melvin's, I can't think of Melvin's last name, the nuke who's a doctor and live in Chicago, mm -hmm. just bought this big beautiful for his, for his wife. And I, I bring those things up because there are outstanding examples of what Mississippians can be and look like. So I'm just on my soapbox, but it means a lot to me that you highlight yeah. those things. Oh yeah. So kind of fast forwarding a little bit to just, I mean, all the reflection, because I know that you are very reflective as a person. And let me also take just really quickly, I love how a lot of your inspiration, I don't know if you've noticed it, has come from literature the quotes that you've used yeah. people who have inspired you i'm like yes yeah, in your it's in your blood it's in your soul so yeah. it is authentically <laughs> you guys but at this point in your life what would you say has been the thing that you're like "Ooh, i didn't know that about myself so what's the most significant thing that you have learned to date the most significant thing i've learned to date that's a really good question uh because i'm a lifelong learner um and so I always feel like just I mean I think I my mind can be blown by the smallest of things Eve. like you know just learning something so small like watching a documentary on TV about animals it could really change my perspective for instance I was watching Blue Planet I hope this is this is in some way germane to what you're talking about here 
was watching Blue Planet and I never thought about how plastic was such a detriment to the oceans. And it completely changed my perspective on plastics and, and something that I never thought I would do. So I don't like to get plastic shopping bags. I went out and I bought reusable shopping bags so that when I go to the grocery store, I wouldn't have to get those bags. And so it's my contribution to the environment. But I think, mm. you know, just one of the things that I think that I've learned is just to always be willing to learn something new and not be afraid mm. to be pressed on what I already know. Does that make sense? Not to be afraid to yes. be challenged on the information that I already know. Be susceptible to new information that someone is either willing to give or I'm, I'm able to find out on my own. So it's just, it's a useful prep mentality to have, but it's also a lifelong lesson that I want to keep refreshed at the top of my, you know, building blocks each and every time as I say, I, as I continue to grow and, and learn more about who I am and, and hopefully who I'll become. Mm, that's really awesome. Makes me think about myself buying grocery bags. I'm going to be honest with you. It's just because I don't want to keep getting plastic bags that I get the reusable ones. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you for that bit of education, though, because really it's I, I'm a recycle freak. I recycle everything that I can. Yeah. Plastic bottles in the trash can, they make me cringe. And I'm just I will keep stuff in a bag and wait till I get home, just put it in a recycle bin. So I appreciate your consciousness and the fact that not only did you learn something, but you took immediate action. And so that's mm-hmm. something to be said as well, that you just don't sit on what you know, you do something with it, which is a lesson for people to to really take. So if y'all are listening, if you learn something and you can take action, don't wait. Yeah, do it now. Yeah. Immediately, yeah. because sitting on it is just it's just, you know, how to say knowing better, not doing better. And and that's just that's just kind of insane. <laughs> I put it that that's all I have to say it. Oh man, but this has been like truly a tremendous conversation. I, I enjoy it. I could I absolutely talk to you on and on and on because you are so filled with so much knowledge and wisdom and just so much insight that I can appreciate. But um as we're thinking of insight right now, I just wanna know if there's a thought that you would leave with us, something that you know, you would want us to carry for life and remember a hundred years from now. Yeah. I don't know if we get um, that out, but <laughs> No, I think that's fair. When I was a much younger man, I, the preps makes me sound like I'm old. Uh, but when I was a much younger man, I, my high school English teacher, when she found out that I was going to study literature, she told me, make sure I study black literature. So to all your listeners out there, and, and I know that your listeners come from all walks of life, but especially for black people, I want black people to be more cognizant of their history, not just, you know, Martin Luther King and, and Rosa Parks, but there's so much beautiful history around black people that I want to expose people to. So I would leave you with this thought to, to learn that history, to know that history. You don't have to walk around with it on your shoulder and to tell people when they're wrong. But I think that when we know about who we are, and we know the struggle that our people have been through will be much more welcoming to the art of survival, to from what they mm. went through to where we are today. And I think it's just a beautiful thing. And I think that's one of the things that keeps me going when I read slave narratives and I read what some of our ancestors went through. And I'm, I'm just always thankful. I'm like so thankful that they live, that they continue to want to live, you know? And so that inspires me each and every day. So we, you know, know your history, enjoy your history, love your history, share your history. Mm, That's well, very well said, brother. Very, very well said. Well, again, I just really want to thank you for your time. 
for sharing your experiences, for your wisdom, for your transparency in this lounge room today, for giving your best to this world so that other people may be their best as well. Thank you for that, for being the example, for your contributions to African-American literature and even teaching at North Carolina Central. Cause I got a little HBCU yeah. experience in there. I love so they, I, that excites I love my HBCU <laughs> students, yeah. Yes, I, I can. I, I can only imagine because again, it's just you have the best of both worlds right now. You know, between the two institutions where you get to spend your time. So, again, thank you, Don. We're wishing you nothing but the best and all things ahead. And always feel free to reach out to us and lean on us if you need anything. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my honor. You are so very welcome.